The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. We've recently had some great conversations with directors whose documentaries are currently available on Netflix. Ken and I spoke with Rory Kennedy about Downfall, her searing indictment of Boeing and its enablers. We also spoke with Andrew Rossi about the Andy Warhol Diaries, in which he reveals the poignantly personal side of the legendary artist. And Ken spoke with Cootie Simmons and Chiki Oza about Genius, a portrait of another great artist, the young Kanye West, as he makes his way from obscurity to renown. You can find these conversations in the Top Docs feed, and you can watch these documentaries now on Netflix. Hi, I'm Mike Merrill, and this is Top Docs. Today, I'm joined by Ashka Wong to speak about her new short, The Feeling of Being Close to You. This is part of our next-gen series of Promising Filmmakers. On its face, this film seems very simple. A mother and daughter phone call accompanied by home footage, mainly of family events. But I found the story to be very well told, exquisitely constructed, and very affecting. The film will have its premiere at the Palm Springs International Short Fest, part of the In Search of Lost Time series, Thursday, June 23rd, 2022 at 2 p.m. This series will play at the Camelot Theaters, Palm Springs Cultural Center. And if you can't make it to Palm Springs to see the film, on June 25th, it will play Brooklyn's BAM Cinema Fest. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do subscribe to the show. And if you are so inclined, tell a friend. It really does help people find us. Coming up, my conversation with Ash Wong. Ash, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you. I do want to say congratulations on this short but very affecting film. Let me explain how it's structured a little bit, and you can tell me if I got it right. So the film is structured this way. We see images of a young girl in Singapore, I believe. And is it fair to say this is you and your mom that we are mainly at? Okay. Your mom. So Singapore, and then later a young adult in the US. And we see these images over time. The sound is you and your mom having a phone conversation. Mm -hmm. It could be one conversation, it could be multiple conversations, apparently at a distance. And I do want to say, this sounds very simple. Okay, some home movies and a phone conversation. And I think that actually lulls you a bit into the, the relatability, lulls you in, and you can miss what's really going on here. This is an incredibly well-structured story, and you use these kind of rhyming images to both further that narrative and create some nuance. Congratulations on it, because I want people, <laughs> the first time you watch this, you might be like, okay, that it's incredible what you've done here. So congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. So let's talk first about the title of the film, which you can take multiple ways. The storyline is about intimacy and this desire for a relationship with your mom, but the difficulty of that. What's very interesting to me is it's very clear that this is a phone conversation, your mom's voice. You could sweeten this out. You could make it sound like she's right there, but you do keep a little bit of distance in the phone line. Was that intentional? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it it is just to accurately represent the space that's in between us and how we keep in touch now, which is on the phone, sometimes with very bad connection. You open the film, it's black. You say that you had a dream that you wanted your mother to hug you, but when she did, it felt like you were suffocating. And then we show some images of you as a young girl. You run up and hug your mother's legs. You say all children want to hug their parents, but you say, and I think this is very affecting, 
and it gets repeated in some ways throughout the film. But I don't know how to hug you to your mom. I think that was really the starting point of the film and, and this process. I think, first of all, I started a film. It came from a place of really wanting to reconnect with my mother. It came from this genuine place of desire. And I think when I pitched it to her, she agreed to participate in it because she also felt the same way. And that was a dream that I had. And I felt like that almost like captured the essence of our fragmentation of our relationship, which is that we really want to have a relationship with each other and have that kind of intimacy that we would imagine a mother and a child would have. But within my dream, it was revealed, the psychological layer of trauma was revealed within the touch. And that almost like this, the sense of suffocation that came from her hug, which is something that's supposed to be comforting, instead was taking away life. And so I felt like that was a place of entry into for the first time being honest with my mother and just telling her a dream that I had. Yeah. It sets up this great dynamic throughout the film, too, that we'll explore. And from this, you go into shots of your early childhood. But again, these are all very familiar. Birthdays and celebrations and family. And you've already hinted a little bit that there's more going on here than maybe meets the eye. And then you have a shot of your mother from the back ironing. And mm. on the phone, she's expressing her concern that she's not a good speaker. Yeah. So when I was pouring through all of this, like, VHS footage of my childhood, pretty much everything my dad shot, I realized that there was very little footage of my mom by herself. And so it's really just like me and my brother, birthdays and all that stuff. And I was really, when I saw that, I think that might have been the only shot in like all of these hours of footage of her ironing. And it became very clear that like that sentiment of her insecurity about herself carries through. Because when she's ironing and she realizes my dad's filming her, she gets a little awkward, a little self-conscious. And in present day, she's telling me, oh, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know that what I'm saying is good enough. And I feel like finding these connections between the images and like what I was hearing present day, that felt powerful. And then from here, from these interior scenes in Singapore, we quickly find ourselves in the exterior scene in the U.S., we believe. And it, it's uh, dramatic because it opens up and there's a sense of freedom and movement and you're running outdoors on a beach with a dog and there's another young person there. It's very interesting here also because I think the images, unlike most of the film, the images and the visuals are matching up very closely. So your mother says, you escaped to the U.S. And you have the sense of escape and freedom. We see you running. And then as you recede into the distance, she says, you never look back. It really seems like the images and the sound are really connecting here. Could you talk about why you wanted to match them so closely at this point? Yeah, because I think between me and her in our personal relationship, me and my mom understand what that felt like for me to leave Singapore, for her that I left Singapore. And I feel like that kind of joy is like running on the beach would be able to reflect the, the feeling of liberation to the audience in a way that perhaps wouldn't be conveyed if somebody was like, oh, you left. Because like, what did that mean that I left? It really meant like I ran. <laughs> yeah. At the beach, as I said, there's another young person with you. And now we see you filming this person. They play their harmonica and the dog howls. And again, these scenes are so interesting because it really feels very familiar to us. Like it's a, like a YouTube video or a TikTok video, but I really got something more out of it. It definitely seemed like there was a kind of a contrast here where you feel an easy intimacy with this person, an intimacy that's harder to achieve with your mother. 
Yeah, I, I really like that because I think my intention of filming my present day with the VHS medium contained within that medium in which we had just seen like my childhood footage. I think that creates a natural juxtaposition of a feeling of liberation. I'm basically creating tapes that like in the same way my dad was creating tapes off me and I now I'm doing it with my own life, with my dog, with my friends. And yeah, I think that when you're cutting those things together, it almost continues that history. It almost continues that timeline, but it also disrupts it by inserting almost like an imagination of what life I would have wanted for myself back then. You have another scene, I think, that's similar to this. We'll see a scene with your mother brushing your hair. As she says, I don't know how to be your mother. And then later we see another young person working with your hair. And again, it seems like this juxtaposition between the past and the present, between a challenged in intimacy and an easier one. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think with the hair braiding, it, it's almost like one of those rituals of care, like going to school as a kid, your mom braids your hair. And I was playing around with my partner and having him braid my hair. And I think that juxtaposition, again, just presents for the viewer to make an interpretation of what those relationships mean. Yeah, I'll tell you, I could help but interpret all over the place here. <laughs> um, and again, of course, I grew up in a family and I had some similar experience to you, I think. And I also have kids now. I know I only film them when I'm filming things. It's funny how it changes your world. So uh, then your mom talks about how she followed her own mother's model. She became an obedient girl and she wanted you to be obedient. But it's, it sounds like that didn't really turn out quite that way. And you tell an amazing story about your suspension from school. Well, my, my disobedience, my deliberate disobedience against my principal, yeah. So basically as a kid, I, I think really the reason why I was that quote unquote disobedient or like rebellious was because I felt controlled within my home environment. And so when I was outside of that, I was trying to assert my individuality and like exploring all these thoughts that perhaps were a little radical for a kid, but I think because I wasn't really allowed to say no or be disobedient or reject things within the home setting when it was in like the institutional, when I was in the outside world or whatever outside world there is for a child, I finally exerted my ability to stand up for myself or stand for what I believed in at the time. And it, I, I think it was perhaps a way for me to reclaim my own power. Totally see that. Your mom then says that she did not immediately take the side of the school administrators. And in fact, she goes on to say basically that, and you have to encourage, you have to really draw this out of her. Maybe the beating kids, they're not going to achieve what you're going to achieve. I got the sense somewhere between she's kind of happy you didn't turn out to be the obedient child or even maybe secretly somewhere she right. didn't want you to be. Right. And I think there are all these like little contrasts and like juxtapositions all over the film of like, of like this idea of what she wanted her child to turn out and the complete opposite happened essentially. And then she kind of backtracks on her words a lot of the times where she's like, oh, but then the obedient kids, they don't like change, create change or something. But I got to do what I did because I was disobedient. And also later on in the film, when, when we were talking about wanting to make up and have a better relationship, she's like, I want to travel with you. And without, you know, being said, like, I'm not, I'm traveling because I'm not there because I'm in the U.S. and I'm not in Singapore anymore. 
So I think I left all of these little contradictions in there just because that is the reality of things. And that was the nature of our conversation and that continues to be our relationship. The language you mainly speak with your mother is Mandarin? So mm-hmm. it's Mandarin. Okay. One of my sons took four years of Mandarin and my other one's starting. So I, wow. I, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It's, it's, it's great. Mandarin is hard. San Francisco. We're in San Francisco, you know. <laughs> but in the story, when you tell the story of your suspension, you start including English words like suspension and then more and more English. Can you talk about mm-hmm. the move to English? It almost seemed to be like a little rebellious move. Honestly, yeah, you're spot on because I think Singapore has this history of British colonialism. And I think in the shift towards a capitalist society, we basically shifted everything into English. And I think for me and a lot of kids in my generation, but for me personally, adopting English to the degree that I have and becoming like way better at English than I am at Mandarin. And that was a way to escape my mother and her generation and her culture in a sense. And and it's taken me a lot of like personal work and healing work to be able to come back to that and to want to speak Mandarin again, to like think about wanting to practice it and figure out ways in which I can revive my Mandarin ability. I mean, I'm conversational, but I'm definitely, I cannot get into a philosophical argument in Mandarin. So yeah, and I think language in the history of colonization, but also in the history of like family, like fractured families, it has always played a role in ability to communicate with each other or not. And so for a very long time, I didn't care about speaking Mandarin, uh, especially after I didn't have to take Mandarin in class in, in public school in Singapore anymore. I did not speak or write Mandarin for a very, very long time. So my return to the language almost mirrors my return to my homeland and to my family. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's great. It's a sequence where basically you reveal really the stakes of what went on when you were a child, where I think you can say you felt like you were in true danger at times. Mm-hmm. In the very same sequence, you and your mother seemed to come to some form of reconciliation. And I, th- I think what's really interesting here, on top of all that, is the imagery. We think we're in blackout again, but then there's a slow reveal. We realize, no, we're, it's not pure black. Actually, it's a night scene, and we see the moon, and we see the reflection of the moon on the water. Can you talk a bit about why you wanted to use these images for this very important, crucial scene? Yeah. First of all, I didn't feel like any of the other images would be a good fit. And I think when it comes to something that's heavy and that was almost like at the heat of the moment, the, the most tension is being presented in the film, I decided to fall back on the abstract. And I have this footage from when I was in the DR. Dominican Republic? Yeah. Okay. I was at the beach in the middle of the night and this moon was massive. And so I was sort of filming because I was like transfixed by how bright the ocean was, just like the moon's reflections. And then when I was playing with it in Premiere, it almost looked like a sonogram. What it looks like when you're scanning a pregnant person's belly. And in my head, that's the connection I made. And and it made sense to me. But I, I think I was trying to find some kind of abstraction that could kind of afford that tension. Yeah, it's very effective. Near the end, there's a birthday party. And of course, this echoes a number of other birthday celebrations we've seen throughout. Many. Uh, (laughs) Many, many. And I I do think it's interesting because we're seeing the celebration and we're very involved. We really feel like we're there. And then 
we see a shot where it pulls back a bit and we see the reflection in the mirror of the camera and the camera person. It's interesting because it's very involved and yet it seems a little bit distanced at the same time. Mm -hmm. What do you see when you look at that scene? You know, I'm not quite sure. I think when I first encountered the image, I thought it was an interesting image because the balloon was rotating and I was like, oh, I can see everybody that's here in the balloon. And it kind of creates a little organically like that reflexiveness of putting back into the screen that I'm the one filming it and I'm like an active designer of this image and of this sequence. You mentioned your father earlier. He rarely appears in the film, but he's really the strong hidden presence, I'd say. He's obviously the person who's videotaping it. We hear him explaining that at various points. We also hear him, interestingly enough, at one birthday party, your mom says, I think it's your mom says, smile. And he says, you don't have to smile. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's him. <laughs> so, so what role does your father play in this story? So really, I should give him DP credit, right? <laughs> but yeah, the film kind of re reflects his presence, even within the family. I think me and my mom have a really strong relationship. And he's always in the back supporting me. But he wasn't always around, especially when I was a kid, just like working and stuff overseas. When I was editing it, I was like wondering in what way could I insert my father into this? But the truth was like, there was no footage of him at all. Once in a while, you could see like his foot if he was filming the ground, but really nothing more beyond that, other than that one shot at the end. So I would say that's kind of an accurate representation of the dynamics within it. It's kind of holding it together. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think maybe the final shot or one of the final shots is of you on his lap. And he asks, do you want to take a picture with mom? And you squirm away. Why did you want to end there? Because I think even though the film ends, my relationship with my mom continues to evolve and it continues to grow. And I felt like that was an honest ending. It's not all like butterflies and sunshine, clearly. This is the place in which we have ended for this conversation. So I felt like that was just an accurate and honest way of finishing the film and putting like the full stop to this chapter. Yeah. Despite the fact we come from very different backgrounds in one way, I came from a very religious family and I was very rebellious and I got in trouble at, you know, Catholic school for challenging. And then I ran away, like at 17, I was, I was mm. gone mm -hmm. first to college mm -hmm. and then to LA, you know, like I was gone. You brought that home to me in a very powerful way and your ability to keep up this relationship with your mother and, and to be able to discuss these things directly in this mediated way through film is just very, very powerful. And I think will mean a lot for a lot of people. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's been pretty incredible how this is a film that began from a really personal place. I was really just like, as a filmmaker, this is my way of processing a lot of things. And when I invited my mother into this project, I think we both had a degree of trust and, and like faith in the process somehow to, I don't know, to just go in and see what happens. And although it came from this really like personal individual dynamic, I've had a lot of people come up to me after seeing the film and share personal stories of very similar experiences. I think it's pretty incredible how universal it is at the same time as it is very, very individual. We would love to hear what you might be working on next. 
Yeah, so I'm working on my first feature film. It's about an emerging reggaeton artist here in New York. He was born in Colombia, but has grown up in New York and Queens. And in the process of releasing his first EP, he was granted advance parole to return back to Medellin for the first time because he's undocumented. And so it coincided with his like family homecoming, coincided with his cultural homecoming because Medellin is a mecca for reggaeton. So the film is about that musical evolution, but also the emotional journey of homecoming within the politics of immigration and queerness. That sounds great. Ash, thank you for your time today. And I would encourage anyone to take 12 minutes out of your day, watch this film. I think it'll speak to all your intimate relationships, especially ones where you want to have a closer relationship, but it's fraught in some way. I think we can learn a lot from this film about how we might do that. Thank you. Thank you for calling me. And it's also a beautifully well-structured film too. It's not just a life, <laughs> I should say that. It's a very touching and effective film. Thank you. Usually we ask about a hidden gem, a documentary film that doesn't get the attention that it should, but because we're doing shorts, we wanted to see if you had a short you would recommend for our audience. I would recommend Learning Tagalog with Kayla. It's a little short experimental kind of narrative film that did, I think, South by last year. It's really funny. Yeah, and it's great. 